The following podcast was recorded and produced by lapsed Star Wars enjoyers. While the hosts approach the material with some residual fondness, they are frequently reductive, dismissive, inaccurate, disrespectful, and deeply unfair to George Lucas, Timothy Zahn, and the Star Wars intellectual property in general. If this sounds like a bad time to you, you will have a bad time. Caveat listener, and on to the show. Hail and welcome all to the inaugural episode of Thronderdome, a podcast where we, uh, really an appreciation podcast, an appreciation for a visionary, uh, one of the great imaginations in uh, American history, pop cultural history, uh, a dream weaver, a magic maker. I am, of course, talking about Timothy Zahn and his magisterial Thrawn trilogy of Star Wars tie-in novels. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, I am your uh, your host, the esteemed Dr. Daniel Doughty, and joining me on this uh, quest through the greatest art of the late 20th century is my equally esteemed colleague, uh, Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how are you this evening? I'm Thrawn-tastic. <laughs> I'm on the Thrawn of my seat. <laughs> but, but anyway, to I guess to further explain, to dial down the cheesiness a bit, hi everyone, welcome. We are a couple of dudes, we'll tell you a little more about ourselves uh, as we go on the podcast here, but what you are listening to is the introductory episode to a podcast series where we will read through uh, the Thrawn trilogy. This was a uh, series of Star Wars novels, the first ever published in hardcover. Uh, that uh, has been given credit for revitalizing the Star Wars franchise, which might sound, you know, here sitting in 2022, well, honestly, sitting in 2022, that does make sense about something someone would want to do. But (laughs) I mean that more in the sense of there was a time when Star Wars was not a huge deal. And this is an artifact of that time. So tonight we're going to, or I guess today, whenever you happen to be listening, I don't want to, you know, peel the curtain back too much. Uh, we're just going to sort of introduce ourselves, set the scene a little bit on the state of Star Wars as a franchise at the time that these novels uh, first came out, uh, written by the the visionary, the the poet, the master, Timothy Zahn, and sort of give you all our personal histories, our, our personal complicated relationships <laughs> with Star Wars, uh, the Star Wars franchise, and especially the Star Wars tie-in universe, the extended universe as it, as it was known. Um, so we're very happy that y'all have joined us and to kind of get the ball rolling, uh, I, like I said, we'll set the scene on the state of star Wars in the early nineties. Um, and I, a lot of y'all listening, you know, or I would presume, I think we have some reach into the youth segment, Ronnie. I think we have some, we have some, our Q ratings are very good with zoomers. So some of y'all listening will not have been born at the time we're talking about. And Ronnie, you were in fact a baby. In, in this span, is that correct? I was three years old when this first uh, Thrawn book came out. So, yeah, yeah. I was basically yeah. a baby. Right, right, right. So, imagine a time, Ronnie, if you can, where you couldn't buy Star Wars toys if you wanted to. If you wanted to buy Star Wars toys, you had to go to Disney World. If you wanted to buy Star Wars toys, you just had to be jealous of your mom's friend's son who you got to play with while she had a visit and they had been to Disney World and he bought 
the Star Wars Darth Vader's TIE fighter. Uh, and you were just overcome with jealousy because you had never seen anything like that on the shelves over at Rose's or uh, Kmart. Uh, this was a time... So the last Star Wars movie had been released in 1983, which was when I was a baby. That was when I was born. Um, there, the franchise had... Of course, it was, you know, it was a, a huge hit and everything like that, but that was also, you know, almost a decade ago. That was, you know, by the time of 1991... Um, you know, that was, you know, it was a long time ago. The Star Wars franchise, uh, and this is not an exhaustive history. I'm sure that that exists somewhere in the podcast universe. If you would like an exhaustive history of the Star Wars franchise, go seek it out. This is my own kind of personal recollection of what it was like at the time. The closest you got to a new Star Wars movie was when the uh, the Disney Channel, which my parents got by mistake for a while, so we got to watch that for free because this was back when the Disney Channel was a premium service, would play uh, the Ewok movies. There were two made-for-TV Ewok movies, which I think we're going to have to get to on this pod. Um, but Just, uh, just to interject, for... uh, I, I just want to point out that one of those Ewok movies starred Wilford Brimley. Yes, it did. The Wilford Brimley. <laughs> the as Wilford I believe Brimley. a a as I believe a a hobo who lived with a uh, a rabbit companion who yelled at children. Yeah, that's right. I, I thought he was reprising his role as Walrus Face from Star Wars: A New Hope, but I guess not. See, he's got the because he's got the mustache. Anyway, um, oh, and that that's another artifact of the times. This is before all the uh, random aliens had full names, uh, so you would call them Walrus Face and Yak Face. Um, so, uh, so at at this point, um, the films had run their course, uh, the, the, they had these Ewok specials TV movies because that's what George was really putting his chips down on. He thought the Ewoks were going to be the big breakout legacy of this whole thing. There was a short lived Saturday morning cartoon based on the Ewoks. There was another short lived Saturday morning cartoon, uh, based on the uh, confirmed Bachelor robots, C-3PO and R2-D2. Um, but those were actually not very... This is a time, of course, before... was well before streaming. It's well, bef- it's well before internet had really reached domestic markets. And your really only hope for seeing any of that stuff would be either it came on randomly on TV or your local video store had a VHS, which mine didn't. So what it did have, though, you could rent the Star Wars movies. And my father, uh, I can't believe I'm writing him out like this, and Interpol will probably be breaking down his door in in mere minutes after this goes live. Uh, What we did have were videotapes of the Star Wars movies dubbed from rental copies on the lowest possible quality setting on VHS tapes so that you could fit three movies on one tape. Now, you might think that we had fit three Star Wars movies onto one tape, but no. (laughs) They were spread out over a couple of tapes, which also included such things as Flight of the Navigator and David Lynch's Dune. This was how I experienced Star Wars. Uh, This was the only way, really, I could experience Star Wars um, at this time, the early 90s. You know, I'm coming up, I'm a lad. Uh... It, it would have been funny if you, if, if as a child you thought that that was the trilogy, like it was Star Wars, then it was followed by Flight of the Navigator, and then David Lynch's Dune, <laughs> and those were all continuous series. I actually because did not, correct, um... Because correct <laughs> yeah, me if sure. I'm wrong, David, David Lynch was actually uh, considered to direct Return of the Jedi, so 
There, there's a link he, there. He, yeah, he was shortlisted. Uh, he absolutely was. Um, but so it, it's there. You would be able to. This was well. This was around so the early nineties, um, beginning in I believe nineteen ninety two. The uh, the Star Wars video game license had been uh, under the control of Broderbund, the folks who made uh, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego and like a lot of other uh, classic floppy disk software that you might remember from your youth. Um, but that software license had reverted to LucasArts, which was the segment of Lucasfilm, which was devoted to initially video game licensing. But this is when they began to develop their own video games. So you actually were starting to get another way to experience Star Wars other than on poorly dubbed VHS tapes, which was video games, with the first one being X-Wing, which is followed by TIE Fighter, and these were uh, space simulations, like, you know, piloting simulation games. There was also, uh, around this time, the uh, there was the Super Star Wars series on Super Nintendo. I didn't have a Super Nintendo, so I never played those. They're like side-scroller running guns, kind of like Contra, but you're Luke Skywalker. Um, so as a young... A young lad starved for more Star Wars because I was really I was all in. I loved it. I watched those movies over and over again. Um, there really wasn't there wasn't much to go for, and that all changed in 1991 with the publication of what was at the time billed as the official continuation of the Star Wars saga. It had Lucasfilm's imprimatur of being the official continuation. And this was Heir to the Empire, a hardcover, glossy novel published in 1991, which uh, by Timothy Zahn, which will probably, I won't burden the listener with very much background on Timothy Zahn in this introductory episode. We'll maybe with the next one kind of picking up the book to begin with, uh, we might go a little more into it. I actually only just learned today, Ronnie, that uh, Timothy Zahn got his start writing Star Wars stuff writing for the Star Wars tabletop RPG, the Dungeons and Dragons style RPG game in the late 80s, early 90s. How about that? That's interesting. Uh, um, the the only note I have about uh, Timothy Zahn, uh, I think we'll save the, the lion's share of our Zahn talk on our sidecast. We need to talk about Zahn. Uh, <laughs> it, is that he's... Older than my father, but younger than my mother. So that clocks him at around <laughs> 70 years old. Okay. That's a, that's an interesting and, and good way of thinking about people's ages. Uh, I like that. It makes it a little more uh, Freudian. Um, <laughs> but anyway. So, that, we'll, we'll so, get into... so also, just, just to, just to uh, not to cut you off, but uh, just uh-huh. to set a scene, that means that when he wrote uh, Hair to the Empire, he was 40 years old. Oh, wow. That is good to know. That is great to know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's kind of the state of where Star Wars was as a cultural phenomenon. It was still very famous. It was still, um, you know, people knew what you were talking about when you said Star Wars. But it also would have been kind of odd for anyone to really, you know, give much of a rip about it. It, 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 it was nowhere close to the world-bestriding pop culture behemoth that it became interestingly around the time that my relationship with it started getting more uh, ambivalent. And I think now is our time. We're going to switch over to talking about our kind of our personal histories with star Wars 
and its associated uh, media artifacts. And Ronnie, you had a, a questionnaire that we're going to go over and answer for each other. Was that right? Yes, yes, I, I do. And uh, I think it, it dovetails lovingly with uh, what you just said, which the first question is, when did you stop caring about Star Wars? <laughs> I, I'm going to put... I'm going to pinpoint the, 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 the time that I stopped caring about Star Wars as being about a quarter of the way through Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones on opening night in the theater. Um, my ardor had been waning <laughs> up to that point. It had been sustained from a lot of reading of Star Wars novels. And of course, we'll, this, that's what this podcast is all about, so I'm not going to talk about that all that much. But by the time the prequels... Uh, were being released so 1999 when episode one came out and this was after the uh, original trilogy had been re-released into theaters which is really kind of what kicked off this this the the round of the star wars revival um and i went to a midnight showing of star wars episode one with two of my goonie friends and i will i will give (laughs) i will give my friend joe credit joe if you're listening shout out i love you and you were right he instantly walking out of that theater was like, that was a pile of shit. That was a shitty movie. I was still trying. Uh, the next day at school, because this was, you know, we went to a midnight showing on, on uh, you know, a Thursday night, ticking over to midnight, you know, it becomes Friday, so we go to school the next day. Everyone's asking us about, like, what was Star Wars like? And I was saying, like, it was pretty good. <laughs> like, I think my main, my main thing was like, it wasn't what I was expecting really, but I, you know, I had a good time and that lasted for about three days. And uh, it really sunk in after that, that I was like, I, I actually didn't have a good time. There was a lot I didn't like about it. And what I didn't like about it, I think was in starting to inform why my ardor would continue to flag but I, you know, I still managed to gin up the uh, the wherewithal to go to a midnight show of uh, episode two when it came out, and you know, really, I think by the time they got to the uh, the space waffle house, and uh, Obi Wan was uh, was you know doing dabs, you know, with the uh, with the owner, I just kind of I I realized I kind of had my limit. I didn't have any uh, I didn't have any sincere love of what was happening anymore (laughs) well uh, ronnie how about you well uh i have a similar uh um uh trajectory as you uh obviously i'm a lot younger than you so you were what like 25 (laughs) when uh when phantom menace came out i was 11 so i was like Uh i was just at the cusp of like realizing that movies could actually be bad um oh yeah so when i saw phantom menace uh on a camping trip with my mother, by the way, uh, shout out to my mom who, who dragged, <laughs> who, who, who sat through both episodes one and two at my behest. I'm, I'm still making it up to her. Uh, but anyway, I saw episode one and I was mainly confused because, uh, I guess I didn't really understand what a prequel was. So I was just like mm. kind of confused, like where all of my favorite characters were. I mean, I think uh, R2-D2 was in there, but that was pretty much it. Yeah. And uh, the only the only thing I could remember about uh, episode one was that Jar Jar Binks was annoying and uh, Queen Amidala was dressed really weirdly. 
I think I, I continually compared her to like a Christmas tree. Um, <laughs> so that's pretty spot on. <laughs> so so imagine my my uh, my love of Star Wars is the Twin Towers, and uh, the Phantom Menace was the first plane. Right. Um, Attack of the Clones was the second plane. Because right. <laughs> I also, uh, I again saw it with my mother. My mom fell asleep during the movie. It was so boring to her. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, good choice. I should have done it. And it was it was not the, uh, the, the lovable Waffle House scene with the irascible uh, Jax Dexter, or whatever his name is, uh, <laughs> that, that riled me. It was the... Uh, the endless monotonous uh, uh, teen romance scenes, which, as yeah. let's see, it was two thousand two. That would have made me. Uh, gee, I don't know how to do math. That would have made me fourteen, and I was at the cusp of realizing I liked girls, but that really only kicked in like in the last like half hour of the movie, where Natalie Portman was really looking hot. Uh, but other than that, <laughs> right, when I, she was when she was, was like, being uh, me- menaced I, by alien I, monsters. But yeah, I was like, why am I listening to this like kid whine about sand and and like how angry he is that his slave mother died, so he just killed a bunch of uh, stand-ins for Middle Eastern people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, so so that was the second plane, and by then it had pretty much killed my interest in Star Wars to the point that I didn't even go see Revenge of the Sith in theaters. I saw it on a uh, a cam rip. Remember those kids? Uh, oh wow! If, if you don't if you don't know, uh, we used to we used to bootleg movies uh, by by taking a camcorder and recording the theatrical experience and then putting it on the internet. Uh, so you got it the way the filmmakers intended, with lots of like. Popcorn mm-hmm. crunching in the background, and and uh, and not really the best camera angle, and you know sometimes the it would go in and out of focus, but yeah, I think yeah. I the, the colors the, the colors of, would look. I, I think I got the gist of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, I mean, I just yeah. recalled, I just recalled in the run up to that movie, just making fun of the fact that there was a a robot that that had a breathing problem, and, <laughs> and looking at looking at it looking at it in hindsight, it's like. Well, Darth Vader is a robot with a breathing problem, but the fact that General Grievous was, like, just wheezing in all of his scenes just was laughable. And then, of course, we we ended the movie on the infamous, uh, you know, no scream of, of Darth Vader, which became an... Inst- it was a meme before memes were around. Mm-hmm. I, I, I recall watching it endlessly on... Uh, just to date myself even more, uh, YTMND... You're the man now, dog.com. Oh, yeah. Oh, marvelous. So, I mean, that ties in great to that. Uh, my, my favorite uh, artifact of that era, which was the uh, the Christmas time um, get back in the theater and see it again advertising for Attack of the Clones, which was uh, uh, an announcer excitedly saying, Who da man? And then cuts to Yoda kicking butt and it says, Yoda da man. Uh, and it's just about the best ad I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Ronnie, would you say that your uh, your uh, pirated, uh, washed out viewing of uh, uh, episode three would count as the thermite charges in Building Seven? 
Yeah, I mean, after that, I pretty much, like, just gave up on Star Wars entirely, because, like, in between, I think, like, the, the last vestiges of my interest in Star Wars was I, I would, like, play occasional video games, like, I remember yeah. Rogue Leader for the GameCube was pretty cool, but, but even that was, like, just nostalgia for the original movies. I wasn't, like, playing uh, Pod Racer for N64 or anything. Oh boy, I sure was. Uh, E.B. Endicott, that's my go-to guy. Um, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because really the, my, my most sustained interest in anything Star Wars was video games. Because um, it was a couple years after the prequels, or I guess around the time that Episode 3 was released, that uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic was released, the computer RPG. And that I, I enjoyed. I played a lot of that, and I like it, it, I had enough sort of compelling interest in it there. But yeah, any, anything other than a video game was just not going to... Not going to do it for me. So what's the next uh, question on our questionnaire? Uh, who? This is kind of a general question. Uh, who is your favorite Star Warser? Oh, character? yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I kind of feel like, it, should this be broken out into like your favorite of the main characters versus favorite of the secondary characters? Or are we just going straight, if it's a Star Warser, who's your guy? Yeah, just overall. I think my overall, this is a harder question than it. I I honestly, it should be. <laughs> I'm gonna say Lando. Uh, okay. In part because I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna say Lando because I I I thought he was really cool in Return of the Jedi, and he had that little alien buddy with the weird cheeks, and I like that part, and um. I also, you know, I was watching, uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back as a very young child, and I never understood what was going on during the the Lando scenes, <laughs> like the Cloud City thing. I didn't understand what was going on with like why they were there or anything. I it took me a while to pick that up. So Lando was kind of an ele- has an element of mystery to him, and I I was not sure why he was in the movies, but uh, Billy D. Williams has such a great presence that uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Lando as my favorite Star Warser. And how about you? He also had a cape, if I recall correctly. He did. He had a cape and just a beautiful outfit. Really great. Like, I'll tell you, the, the costume design. Well, yeah, I know we may we may go into it, like uh, talking about Star Wars in general. But uh, I feel like the uh, Lando's outfits in Empire Strikes Back might be the the last and finest distillation of seventies science fiction costume design. It's great stuff. I mean, like, half of the Star Wars characters are only interesting because of their designs, and, like, every time you well, make that, Boba that's Fett my over... compelling... Right, that's my overarching... Boba Fett compelling, uh, you kind of fail, because <laughs> you realize there's nothing there other than that Joe Johnston uh, design. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I have a wider but theory anyway, about that. But anyway, who's your favorite Star Warser? I'm going to just like throw myself at the mercy of of uh of nerds and say my favorite star wars is outside of babu frick who is remains the best anything ever uh but we'll get into that at another time uh i'd say my favorites are probably r2d2 and c3po because because i'm like going back into the mindset of when i first saw star wars as a let's see i had to have been like eight or nine and mm-hmm. you know i I was a child, so I was like, ooh, cool, like, robots, and they, like, they kind of, like, tell jokes and get into wacky misadventures, and 
you know, they were they were pitched at my level, and I could understand them. And, <laughs> you know, I I didn't realize that maybe C three PO was kind of a problematic, fussy, uh, 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 gay archetype, or that R two D two would non consensually uh, jack his uh, his uh, dongle into uh, computer systems without consent. <laughs> it really was a little pud, wasn't it? Ugh. just filthy. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, question, question three, which I think we, which is covering a bit of ground we've already uh, talked about, is: Did you only like the films, or did you collect the toys, play the video games, read the supplementary material, etc.? Okay, yeah. So um, I didn't. I never really had many toys, simply because by the time toys were widely available, uh, I was aging out of toys, basically. Um, but I for sure dug deep into the, uh, associated novels and, uh, various character guides and vehicle guides and droid guides. I had all that stuff, all that stuff. Um, as for me, I, I collected a fair share of toys. I mean, I was, I was at the right age when, uh, the, the 20th anniversary of Star Wars, uh, happened and. That kind of led to a resurgence of uh, the toy line. Um, mm-hmm. Also, that was around the point, I don't know the exact year, but that was when uh, Lego, I was big into Lego as a kid. That was when Lego got the uh, Star Wars license, and that was like, oh, their big yeah. hit. Because it was, that was the first, I mean, now you look at Lego and they have licenses for everything. Right. Uh, like Harry Potter and The Simpsons and, and what have you. But, like, for before... Before they got Star Wars, they had like just generic themes like space or town or pirates or frontier. But but once they got the got a taste of licensed characters, they never gave that up. Yeah, so, yeah. So I had like I don't think I had anything huge like the like a a an, a Millennium Falcon, but I think I had like a Tie Fighter maybe, and I definitely mm-hmm. had like little mini figures of various characters. So. I was into that. Oh, I had, and, uh, uh, I I did have uh, the Slave One, uh, Boba Fett's ship, and a Boba Fett uh, action figure. I do remember I did get that from the was the Power of the Force collection from Kenner. Yeah, that was what they called that line. Now, now, did they rename that ship, or was that just like clickbait? Um, I have no idea, and I I can't bring myself to care. <laughs> So, I you know I I don't know they probably uh, no I mean the only reason anyone ever knew what it was called was because uh, they got mentioned in the comic books which you know I'm sorry Ronnie but comic books aren't real um, so they don't count uh, so you know oh, I'm even sorry, if they not did part like of your fucking expanded universe <laughs> uh, anyway um, they probably have renamed all, all it. I know um, all I know about the the Star Wars comics is that. Like the original '70s ones that Marvel put out, they had like this oh, yeah. green uh, rabbit character that I don't know if he's still in continuity, but uh, maybe maybe we'll have to do a, a deep dive on that guy someday. We may. I, I know, know that my library, yeah, my library does have the like the omnibus collections of that stuff, so I can definitely uh, we can dig into that when we uh, sort of do our our expansive take beyond Thronderdome where we, we look at some other stuff, but uh, little, this little tease, a little sneak peek at, uh, at what's coming. 
Um, all right. Well, let's see. Does that uh, do we have uh, anything I, left I on have the questionnaire? One, I have one last uh, question, which is uh, okay. What other adjacent material do you enjoy, like Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, yeah. etc.? Right, right. The other like science fiction franchises. So at the time, um, the time in question when I was first reading Timothy Zahn, uh, Peace Be Upon Him, his masterful books, uh, I was also a big Star Trek guy. Um, I loved Star Trek The Next Generation. I absolutely adored it. Um, it came on, I think, most weeknights, like the, the local syndicating station had it on, and I would, I would watch it every night. Uh, I was getting into the Star Trek movies, like the original uh, cast movies. Um, I didn't really know a lot about the original series that didn't come on uh anywhere when i was when i was coming up but i yeah i was i was big into star wars or star trek um i guess for other like kind of the 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 big name uh science fiction properties and really like they didn't they didn't have the presences that they do now even like back then because i had never seen battlestar galactica of course this was you know a good 15 years before the uh the reboot series um I had never seen or even heard of Doctor Who at this point in my life, uh, though I do remember some years later in the mid to late 90s, <laughs> to give you a glimpse into the state of fan culture and what you had to do to uh, to find things you enjoyed, there was a, a local alt-weekly had always had an advertisement in their personals for a meeting of the Blue Box Companions, where Doctor Who fans would meet up to watch VHS tapes at a local bookstore of episodes, <laughs> which... Which I thought was hilarious, and I felt beyond. I had no right to feel this way, but I did feel smugly superior in my own fandom and tastes. Yeah, that sounds disgusting. Um, <laughs> any, anyway, uh, um, I was uh, I was a nominal fan of Star Trek. I mean, like I would, I, I was a kid, so I would watch like you know random episodes that were in syndication, but I, of of uh, Next Generation, I mean. But I would have, like, no real greater context for them. Uh, here's another embarrassing confession. I was really big into Transformers. I mean, that's, that's like, sort of oh, sci-fi yeah. for morons. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like, science fiction for really stupid people. Like, you know, what if cars came from space? Right, right. It still introduces some neat concepts, you know, like... Uh... There, there's a certain. I, I will. Well, it's it's I the def- they're ancient defend, aliens. I, I will, de- I will defend Beast Wars to the death. The, the CGI may <laughs> yeah. not hold up, but they had some cool ideas in there. But yeah, just sure. Uh, you know, also, you know, sidebar. Uh, my tr- love of Transformers also got brutally murdered by uh, a feature film known as Michael Bay's oh, Transformers. Wow. Yeah. I, I saw oh, that man. and I was yeah, like, I bet. "Well, well, that's that's the end of that." Which, which, which <laughs> so, I'm actually, I'm actually glad for because I mean, uh, listeners may not know this, but I'm a huge Ninja Turtles guy. But like that, that I can, I could juggle like being a Ninja Turtles guy and also nominally living living like a normal life. But if I had to like deal with Ninja Turtles and Transformers, like I'd just be a shut in. So I'm glad that yeah. Michael Bay just like killed my interest in that whole franchise. That, that's yeah, the yeah. only time I'm going to praise uh, Michael Bay. 
<laughs> he he uh, he took it around back and shot it for you. So that's we can we can we can thank him for that. Yeah. So that's I mean I think that's good. that was a good exercise, Ronnie. I think it'll get, it gives our audience you know a uh, a taste of where we're coming from. As you have almost certainly picked up on by now, like we're we're embarking on this out of a tempered sense of love, um, but not anywhere close to uh enjoyment of star wars like i said we have a comp we each of us have a complicated relationship I, I, I would say we have no reverence for star wars no reverence for star wars thank you yes 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 not at least not like the way that i used to anyway um and uh which i think is you know so it's great that what we'll be embracing what we'll be exploring is the towering literary achievement of that titan of American letters, Timothy Zahn. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm going to say something, Ronnie. I'm impressed with how many effusive praises I can keep coming up with off the top of my head for Timothy Zahn. This has been going really well. Uh, <laughs> but so far, will it rekindle our love of Star Wars? Will we find ourselves willing to plonk down $5,000 a night to go be served room service by a stormtrooper in Florida? I don't know. And uh, <laughs> I mean, really, it's... It's just up to fate. It's up to the force. And uh, and the force will be with us as we continue our wonderful journey into the Thronderdome. Thank you so much for joining us for this introductory episode. Ronnie, are there any kind of final thoughts you'd want to leave folks with before we wrap up our intro and then they can move on to the, uh, the where the rubber really hits the road with the second episode? I'll just share one fun fact about the Thrawn trilogy and... And I have to specify the original Thrawn trilogy because there are now multiple Thrawn <laughs> That's trilogies. That's right. There's one that comports with the new orthodoxy now. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out that if you take the name Timothy Zahn and you shorten it, you get Thrawn. You sure do. You sure do. We will be exploring the self-insert nature of <laughs> Timothy Zahn's breakout character, Admiral Thrawn in this Thrawn trilogy for sure. So that's definitely something grand, to pique everyone's interest. Grand Admiral Thrawn. Grand, Please. grand use Admiral his, Thrawn. Use his proper credentials. <laughs> that's true. I need to show the, uh, the due respect to this, uh, to this gentleman or gentle alien. Um, Anyway, well, thank you again, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Ronnie, for going with me on this uh, hero's journey, this Joseph Campbellian hero's journey. We will be going on together uh, into the opus of America's finest wordsmith, Timothy Zahn. And we will see all of you, dear listeners, for episode two. Uh, Good night, everybody.